here is that one word that you hopefully are studying throughout the week will culminate on us coming together Sunday morning and kind of putting an exclamation point on the week by looking at the word that was being discussed. What is the most complicated word in the English language? Do you know? Any guess? I'll give you a hint. It's three letters long. Any takers? No? It is the word run. R-U-N. Over 600 and some odd uses just for the verb form alone. And you think about it, you can see how run can be a rather complicated word. For instance, I know this is hard to read, but I'll read it to you. When you run a fever, for example, those three letters have a very different meaning than when you run a bath to treat it. Or when your bath water subsequently runs over and drenches your cotton bath runner, forcing you to run out to the store and buy a new one. There, you run up a bill of $85 because besides a rug and some cold medicine, you also need some thread to fix the run in your stockings and some tissue for your runny nose and a carton of milk because you've run through your supply at home. And all this makes dread run through your soul because your Value Club membership runs out at the end of the month and you've already run over your budget on last week's grocery run when you ran over a nail in the parking lot and now your car won't even run properly because the dummy that runs Walmart apparently let his custodial staff run amok and you do things differently. If you ran the world, maybe you should run for office. Now, can you see how the word run can be very complicated and very difficult maybe to comprehend? There are some other words in our English language that are difficult to understand. You've got to consider context, and even when you consider context, they become difficult to understand. And then there are some words that we read that are difficult in another way. Maybe it's hard to wrap our finite minds around them. Words like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So not only is Jesus God's Son, but He's also God's Word. And you talk about complicated, the pre-existence concept is something that's very hard to wrap our, our finite minds around, and yet the Word was here at the foundation of the world even before then. John continues by saying that the Word was God. So the Word is Jesus, the Word is God. We have a hard enough time comprehending this, and yet you think about how people reading this or hearing this for the first time must have felt. Skip down to verses 10 and 11, and here's what you read. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So this Word walked around. And in verse 14, it tells us that he, he took on flesh, that he dwelt among us. God became flesh. His word put on flesh and bone and walked around. Was a personal human manifestation. The very people, though, that Jesus came to reveal himself to were the very people that couldn't comprehend him, right? Actually, that's not exactly true. It's not that they couldn't comprehend so much as they didn't want to comprehend. They were stubborn, they were hard-hearted, and they didn't want to see the living Word walking around. So the very people that Jesus came to reveal the Word to were the very people who rejected Him. Some were so set in their ways that they couldn't, they couldn't see what was being revealed to them. And, and that probably sounds pretty familiar to us today, doesn't it? When I was younger, I used to spend a lot of time at my grandparents' house. 
And every Saturday morning, when I stayed with my grandfather, I would get up and turn on Mid-South Wrestling. And I would watch my hero, superstar Bill Dundee, the Junkyard Dog, Jerry the King Lawler. Those of you who are not from the Mid-South may not know who those people are, but just take it from me, they were brilliant, okay? And every, sun, every Saturday morning, I'd watch my favorite wrestlers, and I would enact what they were doing on my stuffed animals, and my grandfather would sit in his recliner, and he would laugh the whole time, and he would always say, you know, these guys deserve an award. These are some of the best actors on television. And I would become incensed. How dare you call professional wrestling fake? To me, it was right as rain. It was as serious as a heart attack. I couldn't comprehend that it was fake. And you know, there are many people in our world right now that are reading through God's word and cannot comprehend that it is anything but fiction or maybe they can't wrap their minds around it and so they just completely dismiss it. Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And some refuse to believe that. Some refuse to see that the word of God came and dwelt among us. You know, never again in Scripture is Jesus referred to as the Word of God. But throughout the Gospels, we find the theme of a complicated Jesus speaking complicated words. The living Word speaks living words only to be rejected by the very people He came to reveal the living words to. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? John 6 and 60. What does he mean, they ask, in John 7 and 36? Jesus tells the Jews, my words find no place in you. Because Jesus also makes something else abundantly clear and something that we cannot afford to miss. He says in John 12 and 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken to him will be the judge on the last day. So no matter how difficult it is for you to comprehend, your salvation is based on your comprehension. No matter how hard it is to discern, you have to be diligent to discern. Because these are the words of life. These words mean everything. And it is up to us to do our due diligence, to understand what they mean, to comprehend them, and to apply them to our lives. There is no other choice but to take them with a heart of obedience and apply them. Doesn't matter if the word agrees with you. Doesn't matter if you appreciate it necessarily. Doesn't matter if it makes you comfortable or convenient. The important thing is, is that you accept it. That you apply it. All that matters is being attentive to it and being intentional about it. Again, that is what we're shooting for this year. As we come together as a congregation, this is what I hope that we can accomplish is that we all get on the same page, reading from the same script, hopefully to enhance better Bible study, but also to help us to be better Christians in 2018. There are a lot of New Year's resolutions that were being made about a week ago, and maybe still, and they all typically center around being better physically. Physically fit, not smoking, not drinking, you know, eating better, whatever it may be. Folks, the best thing you can do for your life right here, right now, and in the coming year is to get spiritually fit. Nothing will benefit you more. And it starts now. It starts today. Don't wait any longer. What are you going to become in 2018? That's really what I want to focus on this morning. 
you know, when we talk about words, we know that they're powerful. You know, somebody said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Does anybody believe that garbage? Because that's not true. Words hurt. Words have the power to lift us up, but they also have the power to, to knock us down. You think about some of the most powerful words in the English language. What would they be? I love you. Um, I'm pregnant. It's a boy or it's a girl. I mean, those words are powerful, right? How about these? I hate you. I want a divorce. You're ugly. Or it's cancer. Those words are just as powerful. The psalmist, or excuse me, the proverb writer says this. He said, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Words can make an impact, whether good or bad. They have great potential. And the Bible contains a whole lot of words, doesn't it? Some of them are hard to comprehend. Some of them are hard to understand. Words like propitiation and sanctification and justification. Those are words we have a hard time with. But instead of dumbing those words down, we need to raise the level of our knowledge to understand what they mean, right? And there are other words in the Bible that maybe we have a hard time wrapping our mind around. But there are three things that we cannot afford to miss. Number one, of all the words ever spoken, nothing compares to the words that come from the mouth of God. Number two, of all the words ever penned, nothing compares to the words that are God-breathed, that are found in the Bible. And of all the words ever learned and obeyed, nothing compares to the life that is constructed by the words of life. And so if you only read one book today or tomorrow, if you only read one article on social media, if you only read one magazine article or one newspaper article, let it be the Word of God. If you only read one thing, let it be the Word of God, because nothing has the potential to affect your life in a positive way more than the words of life that are found in the Scriptures. Read it, study it, apply it to your life, because these words will impart life, I promise you. And, you know, we have tons of Bibles at our disposal. There is no excuse for not reading. You know, we have all kinds of versions, right? We have the New King James, the, the King James, the American Standard, the New American Standard. We have all sorts of Bible apps out there that you can get for free on your phone. We have all sorts of uh, uh, CDs and DVDs that we can listen to the Bible while driving in our car. The Bible, in just about any form, is readily available to us, so why aren't we reading it? Because studies consistently show that Christians are not opening their Bible. Why is that? Unfortunately, you, you scan the religious landscape today, you turn on the television, and you watch various preachers on there, you know, me not included, of course, you know. But you look at these different preachers and you listen to what's being taught. And so many times you, you think to yourself, are, are you reading the same Bible that I have? I mean, I think the biggest problem in the religious world is that we don't know God. And the shame of it is we can know God. In fact, we must know God. He has revealed to us his words, words of life. And we need to know those words. How are we going to live better if we don't know those words? How are we going to get to heaven if we don't know those words and abide by those words? How are we going to be better? if we don't read and apply those words. Unfortunately, a regular examination of the Scriptures is not something that is happening in our churches. Remember in John chapter 6? Jesus gives a pretty difficult sermon for the people to comprehend. You talk about difficult words. These were difficult words. 
These words come on the heels of feeding the 5,000. And so this large crowd is following Jesus. Not because they're necessarily interested in being a full-on disciple. They're following because they want to have their belly filled again. That was rare in that day and time. They had just had their bellies full, and they want, to, they want another meal. And so Jesus says, in essence, I'm not going to feed you anymore. At least not physically. But here's what I will do for you. I will give you the bread of life. And he says, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood can have this eternal life. And the scriptures say that many that were following him turned away. And Jesus doesn't track them down. He doesn't twist their arm. He doesn't say, let's negotiate here. Come back, follow me, we'll make this work. No, instead, he turns to his apostles and he basically says, you can go too if you want. Because in that moment, popularity wasn't his foremost concern. Now, for Jesus, the most concern for him in that moment was that the people realize that there's more to life than just the physical perspective that they were looking at things with. And then Peter steps up. The same Peter who denied Jesus three times, the same Peter who, who had his moments of weakness, steps up and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have what? The words of life. In that moment, Peter makes a bold proclamation of faith. And he says, you're the only option that matters. You're the only real option because you're the only one that has the words of life. Go back to John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 14. Excuse me, verse 9 through 14. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then you look at verses 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is, the Father's, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Do you notice the parallels there between Jesus and the Bible? They're the same thing. I mean, look at it. Jesus is life. The Word of God is life. Jesus is light in a world of darkness. So is God's Word. Those who received Christ received eternal life. And those who received God's Word receive eternal life. Jesus was full of grace and truth. The pages of Scripture are full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but they've seen Jesus. And pages of Scripture reveal God through Jesus, through the Word. It's no wonder that John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Because Jesus is the Word. Jesus and the Word are one and the same. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Do you realize when, when Jesus says to that crowd, I am the bread of life, he who eats my uh, flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Bread to the Jew meant teaching. That's what they would have heard. That's what they would have understand, that he is the teaching. Not only is Jesus 
the Word of God. Not only is He the Son of God, He is the Word of God, He is the curriculum. Not only is He the Son of God, not only is He the teacher, He is the teaching as well. Jesus is revealing something profound and the people, by and large, missed it. He gave God's Word a face, a body, a, a human manifestation. He brought a new Word from God that would be written down and shared for generations to come and one that quite literally changed the world. And there are no more powerful words that are written than the ones on the pages of Scripture. And so the question becomes for us, what are we going to do with it? I want to do something a little different this morning. Rather than have the invitation at the end, let's just have it right now. And I want to frame the invitation this way. Who are you in the crowd in John chapter 6? Where do you stand in that throng of people? Are you, are you someone who was curious? You're not really ready for full-on discipleship, but you're curious, you want to see who this Jesus person is? Are you someone who has been confronted by the Word of God and you've turned away because it doesn't, it doesn't meet your expectations? Or are you somebody like Peter who's willing to stand up bold and convicted? And I know we have a lot of people like that here that's willing to stand up bold and convicted and say, there is no better option. In my mind, this is the only option. Let me frame it this way. What are you going to become in 2018? If God allows you to live through 2018, if Jesus doesn't come back first, what are you going to become in 2018? It's just a fact that some of us won't make it through the year. I'm sorry to break that to you, but it's just true. I mean, it's been that way ever since I've been here. Unfortunately, not everybody makes it through the year. Are you prepared for that? What are you going to become in the year 2018? Where are you in the crowd? Just speaking, you know, from, from past experience, there are a lot of people who have a lot of good intentions to start a new year. They make these resolutions but February or March gets here and they realize, you know what, uh, life is hard and I'm still the same stubborn person I've always been. I don't really want to do too much to work at it. I just want the change, right? This is something we're going to have to dig into. This is something we're going to have to commit to. If you want to be better in 2018, you will not be without a commitment to God's Word. It just won't happen. You might be better in other areas of your life. You can get a fitness membership and go make yourself healthier. But if you want to be spiritually better in 2018, that will not happen without being dedicated to God's Word, without being more committed to God's Word. I don't, I don't know why you're here this morning. Some of you I do. But, you know, we have, on average, 27 visitors every Sunday here at Oldham Lake. That's just the ones who fill out a card. That's a lot of visitors. And I don't know what their background is. If you're visiting with us this morning, I, I don't know why you're here. You may be here because you want to be better in 2018. You want to start life anew and focus and zero in on your spiritual welfare this year. I'm glad you're doing that. I think that's great, and we want to help you with that. But you may be here this morning because you're just curious. You watched the television program, and you thought, I'm going to go check out Oldham Lane. That's great, too. We're glad you're here. And we want to help you. 
You may be here because your spouse or your mother drug you here. You don't much want to be here. You're just ready for this thing to be over. I'm still glad you're here. And I want to say to you, whoever you are in the crowd, I want you to be better. I want you to have what Jesus offers. And the only way you're going to have that is by digging into his word. And more than likely, you need somebody to help you. Whether it be me or one of the other staff members or one of the elders, somebody here can help you with that. What are you going to become in 2018? What are you going to be this year? Have you thought about that? Have you concentrated on that? Some of you here this morning need a revival. You know what? Even those of you who have been a Christian a long time might need a revival. If you turn to 2 Kings chapter 22, you see a revival happening. In 2 Kings chapter 22, we are introduced to a young king by the name of Josiah. Josiah was a reformist king. He was cleaning up things. Change was happening. He took down the altars of idol worship. He put a stop to the sacrificing of infant children to the god of Molech. Yes, that was happening. He put an end to that. He restored or reinstituted the Passover. He was a change agent in the best way. Change was occurring even overnight. And how did this change come about? I want you to notice what is written in verses 12 and 13. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Asiah the king's servant saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Did you catch that? A revival is happening. Josiah is causing change even overnight. And the whole reason behind it, the whole impetus behind all of it, was that someone found the book of the law. And someone found the book of the law, and they went and they read it to the king, and the king says, you know what, we haven't been doing this. We've got to do something different, lest God punish us. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to live by this book, because if God wrote it, that's enough for me. If God says something, I can take it to the bank. Whether it agrees with me, whether I find it comfortable, convenient, whatever. If he said it, I'm going to do it. And that's how this whole revival started. And that's how it's going to start with you. Because at the heart of every revival is God's word. At the heart of every massive change. At the heart of being better spiritually is God's word. But you notice, it had to be read. And after being read, it had to be applied. Remember in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 souls surrendered to the gospel, baptized on that day? There's a summary of this provided in Acts chapter 2, verse 40 and following. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. 
and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What was needed for this revival, for this change among these people? God's Word, right? They heard it, they applied it to their lives, whether it's Old Testament to New Testament to the 21st century, the same is always the same, and that is at the heart of every revival is God's Word. You cannot be better in 2018 without a commitment to God and His Word. So when you do your Bible reading plan and you, you, know, you have to read so many chapters a day, do you read that and say, okay, check that off, now on to work, now on to the next thing? Or are you digging into it and studying it, and rather than a checklist item, you're saying, I've got to do what this says. I've got to read this as if God is speaking to me, because he is. These are words of life, and I've got, to, I've got to accept them, and I've got to move forward, because if I, can, if I can stress anything to us as a church family, now and in the days to come, forever how long that we are here together, it's we need to live with an eternal perspective. Stop putting all of our focus on this world and this life. It's fleeting. It's passing. What are we going to be in 2018 is a question we have to answer with an eternal perspective. What am I going to be? How am I going to be better for God so that if my life ends in 2018, I know where I'm going to be for eternity? Don't waste this opportunity. Paul said, for the time is short. The word there is contracted. The time has been contracted. In other words, you don't know how much time you have. Your life is but a vapor. You better do something about it. The psalmist wrote, As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Revival only comes to the thirsty. Only those who are parched and who are soul thirsty, seeking to satisfy their deepest longing and desire. Those are the only ones that can have change. And not to beat a dead horse, not to sound like a broken record, but that change will not happen without a full-on commitment to God's Word. I want us to be better Bible students in 2018. I leave you with this scripture, my soul clings to the dust, give me life according to your Word. What will you become in 2018? What will, what will Oldham Lane become in 2018? Let me get right down where you live for a minute. This revival, this change, this living with an eternal perspective doesn't happen by coming to church sporadically. It doesn't happen by just picking up your Bible every now and then. It doesn't happen with you putting everything else before God, before Jesus, before church, before studying your Bible. That's not how this is going to happen. If you really want it, you can have it. If you don't, you won't have it. If you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it, I promise. What will you become this year? Moms and dads, lead your family with an open Bible. Elders, lead us with an open Bible, and I know you will. The staff is going to lead you with an open Bible. Church, lead in the world with an open Bible. And remember this, a closed Bible never did anybody any good. Let's pray. God, as we embark on this new year together as a church family, we pray that you help us to be more like Jesus, to seek to live out your word this year, to treat it as the life-changing word that it is, 
to seek to be changed by it, to seek to be better spiritually throughout this year, living with an eternal perspective, knowing that the time is shortened. Help us, God, as we, as we seek to be on the same page with you. And God, help us to put away our apathy and our complacency. Help us to make you top priority in our lives. And help us to stop being comfortable. Help us live as true disciples. Let revival happen. And let it happen by all of us. Taking in your word. Ingesting it. Living it. So as to be better. It's in your son's precious name I pray. Amen. In just a few moments, Clinton's going to lead us in a song. I've already given the invitation. So if you have a need this morning that we can help you with, if you're ready to dig deeper into the Bible, if you're someone who is ready to put on Christ in baptism because you have been digging deeper and you realize you need to make a change in your life, don't leave here this morning without being right with God. Why would you ever do that? The best decision you can make right here, right now, is to say, I am going to be better, and I'm going to do that by living out God's word and being a dedicated disciple. So if you have a need this morning we can help you with, come as Clinton leads us in a song. Break my heart, dear Lord. Tell